everyone to the Hilliard Beacon Audio Companion number 48. It is January 18th of the year 2024. My name is Jordan Smith and I am joined as usual by my good friend Tim Hoffman. Hey, how you doing? And Kevin Corvo. Good afternoon, listeners. Excellent, excellent. Well, we are joining uh, you from the balmy Franklin Street Creative uh, Warehouse, home of the Hilliard Beacon. And we're here today uh, to talk to our new uh, interim operations director, Andy Bear. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. And when you talk about this new role of interim operations director, uh, that kind of begs the question, what is Hilliard's operations department? So operations department is an all-encompassing term that uh, occupies a whole lot of different things that keep the city running on a day-to-day basis. So everything from snow plowing, the traffic signals, street signs, uh, forestry, fire hydrants, uh, anything that keeps the utilities uh, going for the city, um, we take a part in and, and keep things operating for the city. Now that's a huge purview. That's a very wide net that that whole department's casting. It wasn't always that way. Uh, when you joined Hilliard, uh, the city's uh, services departments, you came in 2020. Yep. Is that correct? Right. Yep. And uh, you were hired on at that point as an urban arborist. Uh, city forester. City was my forester. Title at the time. Yep. Perfect. And that. And prior to that, you had mentioned earlier uh, when we were setting up that was uh, a contracted service. Is that? part of a general trend of the evolution of city services bringing more operations and capacity under city direction yeah uh it's kind of split uh, a lot of cities are going uh, more towards bringing what they can in-house uh, if they have the capabilities to do so uh, here at the city uh, we had a contracted forester drew todd uh, who'd worked for odnr for a number of years uh, retired and then was working for the city just as a, a part-time basis um, and the city felt that he wasn't able to do in that part-time basis uh, enough uh, for the city. Uh, the city was growing uh, at the time. Uh, the, the needs of the forestry department uh, exceeded what he was able to do in that part-time capacity. And we're looking for a full-time uh, person to, to man uh, the, the forestry department. So uh, I was brought on. I had 10 years uh, as a, essentially an assistant forester uh, for the city of Grove City. Uh, and when the position opened, I lived right here in Hilliard, so it was a... a Easy, easy jump to, to come over here for the city forester position. Right on. We've talked a little bit about that, and it's generally speaking, it's what happens when development occurs, when expansion occurs, where you're adding roads, power lines, uh, trees, and everything landscaping-wise to all that. That creates the need for more capacity to do those jobs and to keep up with that work. I think I was walking down Cemetery Road uh just this past summer and i saw the crews out and i think you were actually up in a uh, a bucket looking at some <laughs> limbs that were definitely encroaching on some power lines and stuff so talk a little bit about that aspect of this growing city and what it's like to try to uh, make a plan for keeping up with those type of necessities as the new interim operations director and as the the kind of department of operations takes shape the growth of the city what's that like trying to stay ahead of Absolutely. As we're adding new communities, as we're expanding outward as a city, that puts a strain on a lot of our city services. It's more miles of roads to plow. It's more miles of sewer pipe, both sanitary and storm that we have to maintain. It's more 
traffic signals, it's more street signs, it's more street lights. Uh, all of those things require maintenance. Uh, and that falls on our department to make sure all of those things are, are operating efficiently. So uh, as the city seems to grow, uh, we need to make sure that we're able to keep up uh, with those services, um, be it by increasing our use of technology uh, or by increasing staff levels to meet those demands. Uh, has the city, in, in your time in operations, has the city been partnering, as you saw in the well? Kevin, you've written about this advanced drainage contributing some of their stuff to the uh, the wastewater processing or not wastewater processing stormwater, stormwater runoff excuse me yeah what what kind of role is that in this area of Ohio because we've had some significant rainfall at times where uh, in city areas we've had backup over time and that's gotten lessened as we've expanded stormwater capacity but I've noticed along Leap Road that small creek that runs under Leap Road uh, in some cases rises pretty quickly. What's that been like to kind of adjust to these some of these legacy systems that need expanded in those areas? Uh, it's about all about preventative maintenance, making sure uh, with our our creeks, with our lift stations, both sanitary and stormwater, that as the city expands, as more uh, pavement. Uh, is putting that water into our, our storm systems, making sure that uh, our lift stations are up to date. Uh, some of them are dated and making sure that we're making those necessary uh, changes and updates to those, uh, making sure that our creeks are staying clear, making sure that that storm water has a place to go. Uh, and also, like you mentioned with advanced drainage systems, looking at uh, new technologies and ways that we can mitigate some of that storm water and keep it out of the storm water systems, um, retention basins uh, with the new Cosgray Road roundabout that went in. There's some unique ways of uh, keeping that storm water from just entering the storm water system using retention basins and uh, other mitigation structures to keep that out of the general storm water system. Andy, you talked about, you mentioned a lift station. Yeah. What is that? So uh, lift stations, uh, so both stormwater and sanitary sewers uh, work Get by gravity. Uphill. Yeah. Uphill. So if you flush your toilet or wash, take your bath, um, all of that water flows downhill. Mm -hmm. You know uh, how the saying goes, right? I know this. Okay. <laughs> I this can, is, I can is, guess what it is, but okay. I, I don't know for sure. I can guess at his function. I just want to know uh, what kind of what exactly they are and how it they work. It makes it flow uphill. Exactly. So that water flows downhill. It'll flow downhill through a pipe. It'll get lower and lower and lower in the ground until it reaches a point. It's not feasible for it to continue to grow down. So actually, it's a, a station with a, a pump and a motor that pumps it back up to the surface so it can start that gravity-fed drainage again. Um, so we have them throughout town, both for stormwater and for sanitary sewers. So uh, the two most notable ones are the ones at the railroad crossings the along Cemetery Road. Because yeah, those big, like, castle-looking structures yeah. you see underneath the railroad crossings. Cement those are rocks with a door in them. Yep, those are stormwater uh, lift stations. Okay. So as the water flows downhill, that pumps it back up and starts it on that downhill trend. So Hilliard's kind of <clears> split <throat> that our stormwater either goes east or west, either goes west to the Darby or goes east to the Scioto. Uh, so we have to make sure that it has an, a way to get there. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's always an education. Uh, when we're looking at things like the community plan, um, city council uh, has expressed that in, in Kevin's writing, and we've seen that they've talked about targeting certain areas for development. When, like from the operations perspective, what is it when you know that there's a significant development happening? What is it to kind of take all that in and make an assessment of how the city can best position itself from 
whether we're providing infrastructure, whether we're providing those kind of uh, support services in an ongoing way, or whether we're charging up front for that. How, how do those decisions really get made at that, at that city organizational level? Yeah, really, it's a collaborative effort between uh, operations, between engineering, between planning and zoning. Uh, everybody kind of gets together and looks at all the different uh, utility needs that that development's going to have, and we kind of develop a plan on you know how we're going to tackle that. Um, if there's specific needs that uh, we're needing the developer to handle, uh, we can ask for that up front, and you know exchange for. Uh, the ability to create that development. We can ask for roads to be repaired, for um, stormwater connections, for sewer connections. Um, those are all things that get thought out ahead of time before those developments get up and going. It's about knowing what to ask for. It's about knowing what you need to demand as a city, really. And I think that's been one of the benefits that I've seen most readily is this growth in the professionalization of the city management in, in those ways, uh, really thinking long-term. Talk a little bit about, as as an interim director, it's tough to say, but you've seen so much growth here already just in the few years you've been here and change. Where do you see the organizational structure going? Do you see operations still being quite so nebulous and, and having to handle all this variety of things? Or is, by creating operations and then creating sub-departments, will you be able to kind of spread this around over time and grow the system? Uh, we're looking to grow the system. Um, like I said, we do have do a lot of different, you know, kind of sub-departments with sewers, with um, signs and signals to where we kind of divvy up those duties. The way we're currently structured, we have four crew leaders um, that kind of have expertise in their individual fields, uh, and they kind of run their own departments for each one of those kind of subcategories. Um, so we're being very uh, vigilant with our hiring from now on, that we're making sure that we're looking for people that have uh, expertise, education, um, looking at tech schools and finding people that have, you know, skilled um, trades for those positions um, rather than just hiring from a, you know, a general pool. Looking at, you know, making sure we pick the right hires uh, yeah. is definitely important. Gives you the ability to grow Absolutely. Uh, through your people long term. Um, I have to ask, uh, it mentioned in some of the material about your promotion to interim director uh, that you help resolve wildlife conflicts <laughs> what would you say is uh maybe your top two or three wildlife conflicts here in hilliard that you've had since uh being on the job sure um, a turkeys? lot of uh, turkeys were a big one um that that was a uh, definitely a, a surprise for all of us uh in a collaborative effort with odnr to to work on that issue which um didn't have a great answer no matter which way we went with it um, unfortunately, the turkeys made their home right at Cemetery and Leap Road, right in that busy intersection. So it wasn't going to end well for the turkeys if they <laughs> stayed in that location, yeah. unfortunately. Um, we had a few incidents already, so we opted to, to work with ODNR to have them move down to a safer location, which yeah. um, we hated to see them go because, you know, they were a part of our city. Uh, we loved seeing them, but I didn't like seeing them in the road and uh, didn't want to see them end up underneath a bumper. So the turkeys were a big one. Uh, another one is, is white-tailed deer. Um, Hilliard has a huge deer population. Um, you see them a lot on the east side of town over mm -hmm. off of Dublin Road. Mm -hmm. If you drive that at dawn or dusk, I uh, have a lot of white-tailed deer over there, uh, which caused us some significant issues with vehicular accidents. Um, with what with the bucks rubbing on trees uh, we have quite a few issues with that um, 
And then uh, the last one I would say are beavers. Um, beavers. We have issues with beavers from time to time. Uh, we have a few creeks that run through town, actually, <clears throat> quite a few creeks that run through town, and they like to dam things up for us, which cause nice. um, backups with a lot of that storm water not having a place to go. So I've never seen a beaver out in Hill. That's crazy. <clears throat> that we've actually had considered... them hit by cars before, oh, so we've oh, had to sorry, had to pick beef. them up off the roadway. But no. um, yeah, uh, along Alton Darby, we have quite a few areas with the Alton Darby. Uh, Alton Place subdivision that's going in out there. There's quite a few that run in that creek. Uh, we've had some right there in Municipal Park, uh, gotcha. kind of between the uh, disc golf course and where the new well, wellness campus is going to go. Um, and then further east, coming off the side of there near Dublin Road. How about groundhogs? Do you have problems uh, you deal with them, or do they mostly keep a low profile and not cause issues for you? They're not too big of an issue. We'll get some calls from residents. You know, they'll burrow under their shed or get into their vegetable garden or something like that. But oh, yeah. We have them uh, here. Yeah, groundhogs aren't, aren't too big of an issue for us compared to some of the other critters we get. Can you give me a little bit of insight? I know you were able to tell me quite a bit about the Shade Tree Commission when uh, I was asking uh, over at the donut shop one day when you were in. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that commission? Because I think one of the things that we will see is, as well as this organizational chart change in the structure of operations and the development department and all those different things, I think we could see commission changes too. But at first glance, Shade Tree doesn't say much other than a catalog of the obviously the arbor of the city and that type of thing but tell us a little bit about what that commission is does what what it supports as a mission that type of thing absolutely if you can <laughs> yeah uh shade tree commission was created uh with the tree city usa organization which hilliard's been a member of for 43 44 years now at this point tree city yeah. uh, as a tree city usa a tree um, village excuse <clears throat> me <laughs> so uh, one of the requirements for that certification is that we have a, a shade tree commission uh that that reviews um and assists the city in tree making decisions so uh, if a new development comes in if a new uh, business wants to build a, a, a building a school anything in town they have to submit landscape plans to the city that spell out what plant material is going to go on that site uh, so one of the functions of shade tree commission is we review those plans uh, make recommendations for changes to those if the plant material doesn't suit the site um, so things that are going to cause uh, pavement upheavals or uh, sweet gums for example that have the fruits on them that are are you know a nuisance for us um, they also assist us in creating uh, legislation as far as approved plant species lists that uh, calorie pear which the state has now named as an invasive species um, was able to put that you know even before the state took action on it uh, shade tree commission was able to uh, outlaw that as a uh, approved species to be planted here in the city so um, a huge asset to the city as far as um, making you know changes to legislation like that mm. and long-term thinking absolutely yeah uh talk a little bit about that uh you mentioned pavement briefly i know the sidewalk program is a big initiative for the city it kind of puts a long-term thought process into how to organize an ongoing update of a critical infrastructure for walkability and things like that Talk a little bit about the program. Talk a little bit about how it's being received so far and what some of the preliminary work has been. Sure. Uh, so the first thing was an assessment to kind of get a gauge on what our sidewalks look like throughout town. Uh, so we actually employed a firm that actually canvassed the entire city and kind of gave us a readout of, you know, what our problem areas were for sidewalks. Um, and the, the problem areas were due to a variety of situations. Some of them were from uh, tree roots, from older, you know, trees. 
uh, in some of our older communities. Some of them were just pavement degradation. Inferior yeah. materials or freezing thaw or, you know, you get one crack that turns into 50 in a few years. Yeah. Exactly. Some of our communities where the homes were built in the 50s and 60s, you know, you've got concrete that's, you know, 60, 70 years old. And, can, you know, it has a, yeah, it has a shelf life. My sidewalk is in pristine There's I'll have lots you know. of sidewalks. Well, there are some yeah, sidewalks. There are some nasty spots. I mean, well, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. So one thing that did is, is it gave us a, a purview of, you know, areas that needed work. Um, so we went in, uh, we've employed a bunch of different techniques in order to mitigate that. Um, a new one that we've brought in this last two years is actually shaving sidewalks. I've seen some of that happening in Kevin's neighborhood, actually, over in Darby so, Glen. They're kind of taking the angles off of the plates where they come out of alignment. Exactly. And kind of shaving down the corners. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, we've used that in a few neighborhoods now where full repairs don't need to be done. If it's under an inch and a half of heave, we can actually come in and basically remove that lip. Uh, it's a 1 to 10 or 1 to 12 uh, slope that we're actually able to cut the sidewalk back at. Um, and it's it's 10% of the cost of a removal and replacement of a new yeah. panel. Uh, so able to stretch our dollars with the sidewalk repairs uh, immensely. Uh, and also, you know, you're also able to leave a lot of street trees in that situation where if it's right. causing a small heave, we can come in and do that shaving, uh, eliminate that trip hazard, but also leave that tree canopy there as well. Nice. Yeah. I know that a lot of people saw that uh, dollar figure on the per panel replacement. And even though the city has the structures built in about adding it into your uh, taxes and that type of thing over a period of years, I know there was some sticker shock there. So it's good to hear that there's like a series of steps that each of these neighborhoods is going to go through where, okay, we can shave these two. That one's got to be replaced you know, and make very granular decisions on that stuff and not just go in with a with a huge jackhammer and, and take up the whole thing absolutely uh, yeah that's the idea try and do the minimum repair to to make that safe and as possible if, if we don't have to remove whole panels you know we'd rather not you know the, whether it's the city's expense if it was a tree related issue or whether it's just um you know settling over time we'd rather do the least invasive procedure possible yeah we love our mature uh huge sycamore in the front yard but it does have a mind of its own <laughs> and uh if a sidewalk panel gets in the way that's going to be tough luck for that sidewalk panel truly so i've noticed also through beacon there's been winter planting going on of trees in uh the city-owned public median talk a little bit about that program is that tied into shade tree work is that uh, the registry does that all get recorded in those ways yeah absolutely so uh, we do a spring and a fall planting each year for street trees uh, those are kind of our best windows to plant uh, when the trees are dormant so anytime they don't have leaves on them it's less stressful for the trees to go ahead and plant um, so yeah we we do the majority in-house we also had a contractor come in and help us just due to the volume of trees that we planted this year uh, we planted over 350 street trees this year um, in the right-of-way. Some of those were replacements for trees that had to come down due to sidewalks, due to many other issues, uh, storm damage, uh, and some of them were just resident requested that, you know, I you know, don't have a street tree and I'd like to have one or one was removed, you know, 10 years ago and now I'd like to have one. So um, that's something we look to do. Uh, you know, if residents are interested in trees, they can always contact the service department and we can uh, get them set up for a tree. But um, yeah, we just, uh, just completed that we've got a few more uh trees that are going in some parks uh we'll hopefully we'll get some warmer weather next week where we can uh, get back in the ground and get those last few in but just about completed so andy how long have you been working with trees ah uh, 
Uh, graduated college in 07 uh, with forestry, fishery, and wildlife was my major. Uh, and uh, from my last semester in college when I was working in landscaping, uh, so yeah, since 07. So it's been been a while, two different municipalities and a private landscaping company. Uh, so you've probably done some thinking and have some opinions about trees. Absolutely. You probably have some <laughs> spicy hot takes about trees. <clears throat> I would like to hear some of your thoughts. What are your, some of your favorite trees? Uh, and what are some trees you've, that you've got no use for? And I want to hear why. Okay. Um, yeah, i uh, got a few favorite trees. Uh, with trees, it's all about finding the right tree for the right location. Um, and that's the thing with, with street trees in particular, that's really important. Um, one of my least favorite that's commonly used as a street tree is a honey locust. Um, have the real small compound leaves on them, uh, which a lot of people don't like. Um, but the main thing with those is surface roots. They have surface roots that run along the ground and heave up sidewalks. Uh, they're also a very large tree at maturity. Uh, so in the right of way, they're not a real functional tree for us. They cause a lot of damage. Think, man, think. <laughs> when you're making these landscaping decisions, think. Do those ones leaf out later than the other trees in the spring? They do. They leaf out later, and they're usually about the first one to change color and lose their leaves in the fall. They get a yellowish fall color, and they're mm -hmm. about the first one that change in fall. But um, they're one you can't even rake because they have these tiny little leaflets. So Yeah, that's... We had one, I thought it was dead because we just moved into our spot and this one tree wouldn't leaf. I was like, oh no, we got a dead tree. And then it leafed out late. Late. And it's those tiny leaves. So you don't like those. Do not like those. Uh, another one is the calorie pear, which I mentioned earlier, which the state now has outlawed the new selling of. But The um, prettiest tree ever. Ah, uh, they stink too. Uh, <laughs> so and you smell of elderberries. <laughs> That's what I understand that people have problems with that tree. However, they always are complaining about it when it is in bloom and our streets are gorgeous. They are. It's uh, like you, you want me to hate this? Everybody has a moment. <clears throat> Every dog has its day. <laughs> this is so, this is, we live in a wonderland there's, right there's now. A, a two-day window try. of wonderland and then, you know. I'll hate yeah, these trees after, after, when they're done blooming. Then talk me into it. But for now, no. Uh, another reason why everybody hates them uh, is because if you go out and see those trees now, they're producing their fruit. So all those pretty flowers that they produce, um, they're fly pollinators, not bee pollinators. That's why they stink. So they're attracting flies to them. Um, but they produce those little pea-sized little pear fruits uh, that now are about the consistency of applesauce and falling all over the streets and your cars and your Delicious. sidewalks and um, are, are quite a mess and, and make quite an issue for us to clean up as well. It's good eating. <laughs> no, don't. No, don't. Uh, They've got I calories. Some favorites. I mean, uh, it doesn't all need to be negative. I mean, these these are trees after all. I I mentioned my sycamore, who I that I love. Those are great. I love sycamore trees. Sycamores are great. Uh, if you find we we love to plant them in our parks. Uh, they're a great large class tree. So as far as like right of way, they're not really a great tree. Um, as far as like street trees, there's a lot of great choices. We have an ivory silk lilac, which is a real popular one, which has nice clusters of white flowers. They flower a little bit later in the spring, early summer time frame. Um, but they're kind of the right size for a lot of locations to where they're not going to outgrow that site. They're not going to cause sidewalk heaving. Uh, they're going to stay in a little bit smaller size, kind of similar to like a crab apple size. Okay. Um, so they're a real great one. Uh, there's one called a black gum tree, which is a Ohio native. 
Um, this is sylvatica, uh, and uh, it kind of keeps a, a real straight center trunk. Uh, kind of has a, what they call a, an X-current growth pattern, so like a Christmas tree shape to it. Uh, so a main trunk, and then it branches off from that. Uh, beautiful red fall color, um, but no fruits or any you know nastiness involved with that one. So those are a few of my favorites. Um, but yeah, it's all just about finding the right location for whichever tree you want to plant. Speaking of locations, talk a little bit about mm. the expansions of the parks system as we've come to know it here locally in Hilliard. That's been a real uh, a, a real boon to us to see all this land kind of turn into usable and publicly available. So talk a little bit about that just in your time here. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the last three years I've seen a lot of changes in, in parkland, uh, some of which has been uh, given over us to the city with new, new developments coming in. Uh, some of which are, you know, the city, you know, made purchases on, but uh, some really great kind of unknown parcels um, uh, along Britain Parkway uh, out by the library. There's actually a few really great parcels right there. Uh, one's called Mildred Park. Uh, has the statue of the donkey, if anybody's driven oh, yeah, by there and seen there, that, yep. right just south of Mount Carmel. Um, that's a city parcel. It's got some great, very mature trees there um, that are fantastic. Another one is actually across Britain Parkway from that one. Um, kind of right behind the library, there's a little parcel in that there that grove. the city owns that is fantastic. There's a little bit of construction going on right there, um, but the city's doing some work. Uh, Shade Tree actually met out there with uh, the owners of the um, Verena uh, care home there, and we're working on some developments for how we can, you know, utilize that property. Uh, it does have some issues with some invasive species with honeysuckle and pear and maybe ways we can go in there and uh, the shade tree was talking about possibly adopting that park and kind of making it their mission to uh, make some improvements to that but uh, it's another one that has some really unique species and is kind of a uh, unknown gem here in the city yeah yeah i i think that's been a, a real showpiece for what uh we offer as far as that walkable but embrace of nature public spaces uh Talk a little bit about what the challenges are for the city as it grows and as development comes and courts the big derby. Uh, that's going to be a hot-button issue for a lot of people, and a lot of people would, I'm sure, like to hear kind of how uh, operations in the city looks at that area, uh, just from your perspective as a natural uh, naturalist kind of guy. Sure. Yeah, as we push westward, uh, our, a lot of our... Um Developments are managed by the Big Darby Accord, which is an agreement that all of the communities made. Uh, so anything that drains to that Big Darby watershed has to follow certain specific guidelines on the development. So um, when you see Hill Farms, when you see uh, Alton Place, when you see Heritage Preserve, all of those communities are required to uh, invest a portion of their land into natural areas. Um, so you can see it at Heritage Preserve is a great example. Some of those are, are starting to mature, some of the grasslands out there. Um, which, again, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It helps mitigate uh, rainwater and stormwater and how that enters our systems, um, but also creates some operations challenges that, you know, with calorie pear and with honeysuckle and some of our invasive species that we're able to keep up and manage those um, throughout that community. So Heritage Preserve, we actually use bush hogging uh, to help mitigate some of those invasive species until those grasslands really get established out there, but uh, right. create some fantastic wildlife habitat areas out there and also just some unique um, we don't have a lot of native grassland areas, so uh, those areas uh, are fantastic. There's some uh, great recreational opportunities out there. There's bike paths. There's uh, crushed aggregate paths out there for running, um, and the bike paths are going to continue. Um, 
between you know Tarleton coming down to Hill Farms there's going to be some um, extensive bike paths there with the new wellness campus coming on uh, be some natural areas with bike paths there so um, utilizing our space and, and maximizing this this open free space is is going to be paramount moving forward and getting uh, it all connected absolutely yeah. yeah and accessible for everybody right keeping it accessible when tree branches or gravel or whatever obstructs the path i'm sure that's just another thing you got to keep track of but uh you know that's the job and that's the kind of city uh we've set out to develop with the community plan and things of that nature a a walkable connected city with plenty of transportation options so um well how do you feel about some of those other transportation options that they brought in is operations in any way responsible for the senior transport uh option that's there the 55 and over uh that's run by a recreation and parks department who handles the seniors uh senior facilities but uh, yeah just the different ways that the city's you know tried to make everything more accessible for all of our residents has really been fantastic yeah so you just jordan you just mentioned the community plan Mm. uh you just mentioned and i'd written down right before you uh mentioned bike paths as we had all the uh, candidates for city council in to talk about this and that in the community plan. Something everyone was very excited about was becoming a trail town, adding more bike paths, more opportunities, uh, you know, to connect neighborhoods that way. Obviously, that is going to be in the purview of your department. Uh, so, can you kind of tell us sort of? Uh, preparations that you're making or the way that you're thinking uh, give us some insight on how you're thinking about um, adding more bike paths to Hilliard where they might try to go maybe some of the challenges of uh, of getting that done absolutely uh, so yeah we've got a few things in the works already um, big thing is with our transportation and mobility department making sure that we're you know keeping everything accessible for everybody so um, the uh, Overchange over 270 is a big one uh, that we have grant funding for, and we're going to be building a bridge for um, pedestrian vehicular traffic to get across 270 uh, at the Cemetery Road interchange. Uh, so that's going to be a huge one for getting accessibility over to the True Point development uh, and everything that's going to be involved in there with restaurants and retail and that uh, the next mill run overpass area. Pass up. Will that eventually also have some expanded uh, capacity? They're it's, at Davidson? Yeah, just that oh. small one. <clears throat> There's a sidewalk on that. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we're looking at, you know, lots of different options on, on ways we can improve uh, vehicular traffic, um, you know, pedestrian traffic, um, ways we can get people around easiest. So uh, Dublin Road is another one. They're looking at some bike paths um, to get people up and down Dublin Road as well. Um, a lot of it involves some partnerships with a lot of different communities. Uh, so we're looking at talking with Columbus and Dublin, uh, Upper Arlington, a lot of these ways so that um, they're not just Hilliard bike paths, but ways that we can connect to other communities. Uh, rails to trails, which you can take you out to Plain City, um, ways that we can get you know out to Quarry Trails Metro Park or some of the areas you know further east from where we're at. So looking at ways of not just being Hilliard connected, but connected with other communities. A pedestrian path on over 270 will be useful. About two summers ago, on purpose, I got my tire changed at Discount testing. Tire, You're which used to your be. Nerve. No, I walked back <laughs> home to Darby Glen oh, no. from testing your Discount nerve by tire doing that. When it used to be next to the Steak and Shake down Fishinger Boulevard. And that was a, yeah, that wasn't a, the safest thing Hair to do. raising experience <laughs> to think about. Do <laughs> I go over the side? Do I risk it? Well, when I was walking across the bridge, I realized in that moment of a car coming eastbound, 
wasn't paying attention, I had no choice except to I'd jump off onto the freeway. <laughs> so if, if it happened to veer off the road right on the bridge. Heaven yeah. forfend. Yikes. <laughs> Never again. Never again. Yeah, I think uh, the city has learned a lot over the past 10 <clears throat> years or so about the pedestrian crossings. <clears throat> they need to be very durable and very protected because uh we've shown time and time again we need that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> we'll put it that way yeah roundabouts you know they're they're a new thing you know we've, we're up to 19 i think roundabouts here in town but finding ways that pedestrians can you know safely you know cross at those roundabout crossings and um, ways that everybody can work together and you know are, make sure people are getting safety. Are they becoming more accepting of roundabouts? Because I think so. Are they, I, I think hope so. Because I'm, I'm wanting, begging, I'm waiting, roundabouts, wishing, <laughs> and hoping for that one down at that four-way intersection down past That's the donut. That's in Columbus, so that won't happen probably. Come on. We can annex it. We'll just take it. <laughs> you know, we'll accelerate it type 2 annex that whole corner. <laughs> Uh, but with that also being said is, you know, we've also created a maintenance component for our bike paths and everything as well that we're setting aside money to repave, to crack seal, to yeah. maintain those trails um, so that, you know, they're not falling into disrepair yeah. uh, so that we're keeping up with them and keeping them functional. Right on, right on. So funny, I have a question about your 10 years in Grove City because I'm thinking about this timing. That was a pretty big period of growth for Grove City at that time as well, was it not? So. Tell us a little bit about that to kind of go from one growing suburb to another growing suburb and talk a little bit about your experiences down there. What was that kind of education like, the earlier part of your career with the city? Yeah, it was a, a very rapid uh, growth time for Grove City. Uh, the Pinnacle Golf Course was kind of up and going, and uh, we were doing landscape assessments and um, landscape inspections for a lot of the new new homes and new communities going in there. Uh, planting street trees, we planted all of them in-house there, so I uh, planted a few thousand street trees in my tenure there at Grove City. Um, it was, yeah, it was a hustling, bustling time. Um, the Hilliard posted for the city forester position in, I believe it was March of 2020, right before the COVID word became, you know, popular in everybody's vocabulary. Right. So, um, during the hiring process is when COVID, COVID was, you know, starting and, and getting up and going. Uh, so starting here in Hilliard during COVID when everything was kind of slowing down a little bit, uh, it was kind of a weird time to start a new position. Nice for to be sure. outside in the fresh air though, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> it was a good time to be, you know, out there with the crews and, you know, doing pruning and uh, up in the tree canopy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of residents were at home. So we got to speak to a lot of residents and got to communicate and, you know, collaborate with a lot of people on what we were doing on a lot of what of our goals were. Uh, as the city so it was kind of a cool time to to talk to a lot of residents who normally would be in the office but who were working from home and their kids were home and um, making all of that work at a at a really weird time for all of us yeah i kind of see how connected we all actually really are uh when you break your pattern you're reminded of the existence of other people it's like <laughs> uh you go to a college campus and you walk to only your classes you see the same people every day but if you stop and wait another 10 minutes you'll see another thousand people going in a different direction living a different life so uh as we were all getting through that it helped us be a little more mindful of everybody else i think at the time as well uh maybe in final in wrapping up we could talk a little bit about uh the 311 
program with the city. I think that's kind of an innovative approach uh, for city to take to to allow itself to be kind of accessed in that way. Do you want to? Do you have a purview over that as operations? Absolutely. Okay, go ahead with that if you don't mind. Yeah. So residents have a lot of different ways to communicate with three one one. We have uh, an app uh, that is mobile three one one that residents can get on if they're having an issue with a street light that's out, if they're having an issue with a tree that's causing a problem. Uh, all the different you know, work orders that they could create, they can get onto that website, create an account, uh, submit, you know, those work orders has come directly to, you know, whatever group in the city can handle that. Uh, we can communicate with the resident. Uh, sometimes it's simple that, you know, I've got a street light that's out. We can go out. A lot of times we'll have the light fixed and we'll just communicate back to the resident. Hey, you know, this street light was fixed on such, such a date. Thank you for letting us know. Uh, and a lot of those things from the city's perspective, you know, we're not driving roads at night and, you know, Looking. seeing what streetlights are out. Right. So uh, some of those things, if we're not getting the feedback from the residents, we're not noticing that, you know, that streetlight does need repair. So um, it's we're reliant on those 311s for a lot of the work that needs done in the city. Uh, a lot of the things we can be proactive and, and stay ahead of, but things like that, where that, you know, if a, a si sign gets drain. knocked down, a blocked yeah. storm drain, um, yeah, a lot of the things we get, you know, we're not we're not out monitoring those. We're working on other work orders, so um, we're relying on those that residents can get in there. Uh, they can also call directly to our operations department, uh, and our uh, staff there can assist them in getting those work orders created as well if they don't have. Um, a way to do that on a computer or, or a smartphone. Nice. Nice. We've got beavers running a dice game in the drainage <laughs> tubes. Oh, <laughs> come on. Hey, listen, that's like I lost 50 bucks. They pay the protection money. And a, my favorite branch. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I think it's been a wonderful window into this evolving uh, city services department of operations this new expansive uh, designation that you are uh, at least temporarily uh, at the head of last thing is there a permanent title in this in your future are you being considered for this position full-time or are you just covering this for now and potentially in the future moving moving up into that chair at some other point uh, that's my hope that when all of this comes down that I'll fill it as a full-time uh, operations director with the city. Uh, we're currently uh, looking for a uh, assistant city manager position that will oversee operations in parks and rec. Uh, so they're going to be involved in the hiring process for the operations director. So um, that's kind of what we're waiting on there. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely hopefully in the running for that. Uh, definitely interested in the position. Uh, over the last 14 years, uh, operations has been my home. So I'm very versed in all that we do and would love to you know, be Hilliard's operations director. Well, uh, you'll you're... get the calls for the snow plows. Oh, yeah. When the roads aren't. <laughs> yeah. Who, every, road let's go around first. real quick. Everybody, favorite truck name. Mine is Truck Norris. I already claimed it. Kevin, do you have a favorite truck oh, name? Oh, I actually wrote the story on that naming process, but I, I don't remember. No, no I recollection. Don't, I don't recall it on the Andy, do you have a favorite truck? One uh, that does the job without breaking down? I'm a Star Wars guy, so I got to go uh, Luke Snowwalker. Luke, Luke Snowwalker. Snowwalker. Fair. That's good. That have you seen any? Is there one called Trucky McTruckface? Because I'd vote for that no. one. <laughs> I think that one got voted out. I think that was a highly, highly requested truck name. Uh, bounced. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we hope to have you back here sometime in the future. Folks out there in listener land, uh, please uh, subscribe to this Substack. 
Help us continue to support Kevin Corvo's mission to remain a strong community reporter and voice uh, for this locality. Uh, he's been doing it for almost 30 years now, and it would be a damn shame to stop right now as we're just getting started in our second year as the Hilliard Beacon. So, uh, from all of us to all of you, thank you. We couldn't do it without you. And uh, to Andy, thank you. We couldn't have done this without you. Until next time, goodbye.